Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses so join me in the fun sign up now at chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary VTW, void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus this podcast is sponsored by cloud optimizer as a business owner or it manager are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why it's time for cloud optimizer as you migrate your business to the cloud what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy but Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance Plus, save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Football Social Daily. Premier League Preview. Hello and welcome to the Football Social Daily Premier League Weekend Preview Show and what a weekend of Premier League action we have lined up in the next 48 hours. The top two sides in the Premier League do battle at Anfield as well as all other 18 sides being in action between now and Monday morning and we are going to be looking into everything that has happened, could happen and is probably going to happen between now and then. A big Premier League game of a weekend, a big Super Sunday means that you get all of your big guns out. Jurgen Klopp is likely to have his best team out. Pep Guardiola, minus one or two, is going to have his best team out. And it's only right to hear at the Sports Social, for a big game, we have our A-team. We have all of our big guns ready, fit and raring to go. Late fitness tests have been passed, hamstrings have been stretched and everybody's ready. My name's Fergal Brennan and I'm joined in the studio by an all-star cast for this huge Super Sunday, Super Saturday, Super Sunday of Premier League action. To my right, I have Mark Critchley, Northern Football Correspondent for The Independent. How are we, Mark? Hi, Fergal. How are you? Very good. Okay. Playing right down the middle, centre-back, centre-midfield, mm-hmm. centre-forward, we have Sam Lee, Manchester City Correspondent for The Athletic. Hello. How are you, Sam? I'm all right, thanks. I'm a bit worried that people are going to be disappointed by the time they get to the end of us three being <laughs> announced, but <laughs> and, the best to last. And uh, playing in the, uh, in the number 10 role, free... Free out on the left-hand side. We're joined by Pete Hall, freelance football journalist for Reuters. How are we, Pete? Hello. Uh, can I just say that I have never passed a fitness test? That's, that's, <laughs> that's for sure. Well, we're about to kick off, so the time to tell your manager is, is not now. That should have been before. Anyway, the game of the Premier League so far this season. At Anfield tomorrow, Manchester City take on Premier League leaders Liverpool. 
realistically, we were chatting about this before we started recording and thinking, is there some sort of creative way, you know, that we could pretend that, you know, there's, there's other stuff going on in the Premier League this weekend? Let's be honest, there's not. This is it. This is, this is where the eyes of the footballing world are going to be on North Liverpool this weekend to see how this game pans out and potentially what it means for the Premier League title. Now, before we get into the permutations of, of how the game is going to play out, we're going to look at the two teams. Uh, I'm going to start with Mark. Uh, looking at Liverpool's team, Jurgen Klopp has said that he's pretty much got a clean bill of health, uh, aside from Joel Matip, who he expected to miss out. Big pluses for Klopp are Virgil van Dijk and Jordan Henderson both being fit to start. How do you see Klopp approaching this, Mark, in terms of his um, team selection? I think we were talking before and, you know, a lot of the team picks itself. We know the goalkeeper, we know the defence, we know the front line, of course. The question really is maybe midfielder, though I don't even know if that's much of a question anymore. That it at least provokes debate whether Klopp should kind of muddy it up and see this midfield uh, setup that we've seen before with Wijnaldum, Henderson and Fabinho, maybe James Milner thrown in there, or whether he wants to test out Oxlade-Chamberlain, who scored in midweek, scored two in Genk two weeks ago as well, or perhaps Naby Keita, who I thought impressed the other night against Genk when he came on, first half especially. Um, but I, I just don't see that happening, to be honest, because... The whole way that Liverpool set up, we know they play they're like a battering ram. We know those fullbacks go press forward, supply the front line, and they need that stodge, if you like, in midfield to kind of soak up pressure and just protect the uh, rest of the defence. So I, you know, for all the debate that there's been around whether Cater or Oxley Chamberlain, whoever, I, I, I expect that it will be Fabinho, Wijnaldum, Henderson, and exactly what we've come to expect from Liverpool. Do you think in terms of that, in this idea of leaving Kaito or leaving Oxlade-Chamberlain on the bench for potentially bringing them on, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes to go to maybe try and change the game in Liverpool's favour, do you think that's Klopp saying, this is the way to play against Manchester City? Or do you think it's, as you say, him saying, this is the way our midfield plays in order to let Trent Alexander-Arnold and Andy Robertson get forward and, and support the likes of Salah and, and Sadio Mane? Yeah, I think, so we're talking about two managers here in, in Klopp and Guardiola who very, have very defined ideas and ways of playing and systems. And, he, you know, last year we saw Pep go to Anfield and he's admitted himself slightly change up, slightly be a little bit more conservative, try and protect against Alexander-Arnold and Robertson. Um, and you know maybe maybe he's not going to do that again. I'm so I'm sure Sam and Pete will discuss that. For Klopp again, I think he's just got one way of playing, and those fullbacks are so vital, and they they give up so much space in behind that yeah he has this is this is not only the way to play against City, it's the way that Liverpool play, it's what they do, and I don't expect it to be any different to be honest. Now Sam, I'm going to come to you in a second just to get the, the Man City angle in terms of their team, but Pete, I want to ask you dead quickly. Following on from what Mark said about how we expect Liverpool to set up and potentially how we expect City to to set up, where do you think this game is going to be won and lost? Now, we've said all season so far that the key for Liverpool is their full-backs. The likes of Robertson and Trent Alexander-Arnold getting forward and exposing teams. When they've come up against 3-5-2 systems, they have found it difficult. With that in mind, do you see City adapting, either in terms of personnel or in terms of system, to try and look to limit how much influence they'll have on the game? I think I think so certainly because I mean the, you don't get fullbacks like that very often. You don't come up against fullbacks um, like Liverpool have got very often, and you've got to nullify that because they're so key to what Liverpool do. But where City, what City really have to do is Liverpool. I, th- I think are going to come out the tra- flying out the traps and like they did in the Champions League and try and blow City out the water early on. 
and they've got to ride that storm early on. And if they can, then then, then I think they've a very good chance of getting a result. It all depends on that early stages. I think how how both teams start the game will have a, a big effect, and and how Claudio Bravo starts. Well, that's something we're going to pick up with Sam on. Obviously, Pep Guardiola in his press conference has confirmed that Edison, after picking up the injury in Champions League in midweek, is not fit to play. Claudio Bravo, not Kyle Walker, despite all the clamour for him to, to, to start and goal over Bravo, is going to start at Anfield. So I think that's the most sensible place to start. Your number one, or standing number one, is going to be Claudio Bravo in front of a back four that's potentially not the the strongest or the, or the back four that Guardiola would like to pick in, a, in an ideal situation. Is that where the pressure lies for Manchester City in terms of their performance at Anfield? Yeah, because like, there's a lot of talk about City being a bit more defensive, and they will be. But you know what that means for City is, you know, they're, they're just a bit more compact. But they've still got the ball. You know, they still want to have possession. They'll still want to play out from the back. Um, the issue you've got then is, you know, if Edison's in goal, he's nervous, isn't he? Like he's, mm. he doesn't look like he's bothered by absolutely anything. Um, and I know he he fumbled a shot in the Champions League game at Anfield, but I mean in terms of being closed down or getting the ball in the box, it's not going to bother him. And not just that, but the range of passing he's got, the vision he's got, it would just help City play out from the back so much better and it would make the whole process a lot smoother and it would really, you know, play into City's hands in the way the Guardiola's going to want to approach it. Bravo, obviously he was signed to do that. Um, is He has got a good passing range. He is comfortable with his feet, but he's not Edison. Like, nobody really is. You know, Alisson's kind of up there around him, very similar, weirdly. Um, the two Brazilian keepers, both in the northwest, um, but I, th- th- there's just always an air around Bravo. He's, I think, he's going to invite pressure. I think you know Liverpool don't press as much as they maybe did a couple of seasons ago. But I don't, I don't know how realistic this is. But if I was Klopp, I'd probably be saying, look, for 15, 20 minutes, go after them, go after maybe you know John Stones played well last season, but you know go after Stones, go after Bravo, go after Walker, you know, try and make you know, forced mistakes early on. And yeah, you know, with Bravo being in goal and not Edison, that's going to, it's it's going to be, it's going to be even harder for City. It's going to offer Liverpool encouragement. And, you know, we've not even, you know, talked about the fact of, you know, just, just keeping the ball out of the net. Yeah. Which is another huge difference between Bravo and Edison. Do you think in terms of, well, you've touched on it there, in terms of Bravo, when he has the ball at his feet or, or from a goal kick, do you think Guardiola will try and move away from this idea from the start of the season of the two centre-backs either side of the 18-yard box, and looking to play right the way out from the dead ball line. Do you think, because Liverpool will be squeezing up, you would think he'll say to Bravo, listen, as you say, early stages of the game, go a bit more direct, look to at least get the ball further up the pitch, and then let the attacking players come into the play a little bit earlier? Mm, no, because it's that's too much of a risk for Guardiola, I think. You, you're still relying then on somebody winning a header, and you know, City aren't built for that. Um, you know, they're better with the second balls now, but... I. I, I would be surprised if they did that. I, I, you know, I think what they'll be able to do and what they did in the Community Shield, you know, they, they'll still have a centre-back inside the box. That'll give them different options. I think, you know, some. I remember reading something about it at the time in the Community Shield. That way that City did it opened up so many different passing options for them and then the test will be, obviously, it was Bravo on the, on the day. I think he'll just have to pick somebody out of mid-range. You know, he won't be going long, but... With that, he might get the ball back from the centre-back. Once Liverpool have pressed, there will be someone spare somewhere. There might be a right midfielder or Mendy spare, and then you rely on Bravo's passing as long as you know he's got his head on and to, t- to, to pick them out in the midfield. In terms of selection, obviously, we've touched on Liverpool and the majority of the team picks itself. How do we see Guardiola going in terms of a starting lineup? Bravo, Kyle Walker, uh, centre-backs, would you say Fernandinho and John Stones? Or? I, think that, I think so. That's what I'd say. I mean, I, I, 
I don't know any more than anybody else, but that's what I'd say. Uh, in terms of fullback, do you think it will be a situation whereby he plays Angelino, or do you think it will be Joe Cancelo? Potentially, I think, I think it'll be Mendy. To be honest, he did really well there at Anfield last year. I remember yeah. there's always question marks about City going to Anfield, but one of them last year was you know is Mendy good enough defensively? And he was really, really good, really solid, mm. putting a performance I think most people probably didn't expect. So I, yeah, I'd imagine it'd be Mendy. Now, in terms of midfield, we, we touched on it a second ago. Liverpool will look to be combative and, and we've seen the way Liverpool do and, and I think in terms of midfield Liverpool get quite a hard time in terms of the portrayed as just you know these three you know Wackham Basham midfielders when really they, they can play a bit but what what I believe Guardiola will be saying to the players is you know you three in the middle of the park are better on the ball than them three don't let them try and hassle you and harry you if you can slow the game down to your pace that's how we can win this with the greatest respect in the world to the likes of Sheffield United who gave Liverpool a bit of a game a few weeks ago if City can control the tempo of the game in the middle of the park, that will nullify uh, Liverpool's fullbacks because they won't be able to get the ball to them. That's right. I, I, it's just such a big ask to go to Anfield and control the control the tempo, as you say. Um, I think I'm right in saying there was there was certainly mentioned at today's press conference with Guardiola that he's had maybe three games in his career where they've, uh, his team hasn't dominated possession and they've all been against Klopp. So. You would expect Liverpool to at Anfield to still dictate the tempo and still be the dominant force in the game. Um, I just think for for Guardiola, the six point gap makes things so interesting because you can look at that one way or in another. You know, you can either say, okay, well, if we lose, it's nine, so we need to go for it, or you know, we need to we need to hold in and, and uh, sorry, yeah, if we lose, it's nine. <laughs> I've got it mixed up now. If we lose, it's nine, so we need to it could be know, nine, sit yeah. back, yeah, yeah. stick, but the nine point gap. And then, uh, or, or you either go for it and you know try and try and reduce it to three, and it really is a bit of a conundrum. And you know, when he's asked about it, he, he has this. He said it today, and he said it in January as well before the the game at the Etihad. He said, "People keep saying, what if we lose? Well, what if we win?'" Uh, so I, I'm tempted to think they will end up just going for it because it's kind of the way they're built up. But it's going to be an interesting one. I think with um, in this debate, what people overlook often is how good Fabinho is and how good he is on the ball. Like. Um, Liverpool's midfield is not as it's it's not as, as technical. It's not as technical as City's. That certainly, but it's not it's not their the thing you go to. It's not their go to thing like the strike force and their defence and the goalkeeper is is elite top top level. But then you look at the midfield individually and you think that it's not as good as other big teams in in Europe. But Fabinho is the one. He's never lost a Premier League game, um, and he is infinitely better on the ball than people give him credit for. And he is he's key to Liverpool's game now. Um, Henderson gives you the energy, as does Van Alden, but um, Fabinho's the one that makes them tick. And without him and the way he's been playing, Liverpool wouldn't be as good and in the position that they are. Just on that as well, there's one thing Klopp has always said is that there's no playmaker in the world better than counter-pressing. You know, this is, his, this is what he does. This yeah. is his system. So when you look at that Liverpool midfield and you see guys in there who you don't think are especially good on the ball or, you know, maybe they're a little bit underrated, maybe that's got played up a little bit, but they're not, you know, they're not De Bruyne, they're not Silva. Um, when you see that, that's not their purpose. That's not why they're there. They're there to push and harry and press. And he sees that as fundamental in creating the chances that Liverpool create. And there was that there was that Pep Linders um, press conference, wasn't there, where he, he basically said that, it was after the youngsters had impressed and everyone was saying, oh, are, these, are these youngsters going to make it in the first team? He said, yeah, they're brilliant. They've got all the talent in the world. 
But to take it to that next level, you've got to know what to do when you haven't got the ball and you have to be in a certain position, you have to press in a certain position and that is what you need to do to get into this Liverpool team because that's what sets the Liverpool team apart from the rivals. There's, there's one thing that we've touched on. Obviously, we've mentioned on what can potentially go on on the pitch at Anfield, but one of the biggest factors that Klopp and Guardiola both touched on at the start of the season was how their players deal with the pressure of you know, needing to go to tough grounds, needing to go to their rivals and get positive results. And Guardiola and Klopp both said at the beginning of the season, this title could be even closer than last season and they both fully expect it to go all the way to the end. Sam, you're in a position where you, you know, you um, press conferences with Pep Guardiola regularly and you're dealing with these situations and you're seeing the, the small little bits that other supporters are not seeing. Those really, really thin margins could be potentially decisive in this game. When you look at the team and you look at the managers, who do you think is potentially in the stronger position to deal with the pressure, with the environment? Do you think that could be an issue for Guardiola? Yeah, Liverpool, Anfield, it's always it's always difficult. Um, you know, any old team, you know, not just City. Um, obviously, everyone saw what happened with Barcelona in the Champions League semi-final and, you know, they weren't the first and they won't be the last. Um, yeah, it's kind of like what Mark said earlier, or, or Pete, I can't remember, sorry. Um, <laughs> but the longer the game goes on, the longer it's close. You know, that's yeah. going to be the thing. So at, at, at the start, you would say, you know, Liverpool, are, you know, Liverpool they can play with the... Because I'm sure the atmosphere will be great. Um Liverpool players will be going for it from the off. They'll be looking for that early goal. Um, and, you know, City might have to weather a bit of a storm. Um, and, you know, they, I don't know, they might, I doubt they'll be feeling sorry for themselves. I think that's kind of something that we on the outside might project onto them. I think they're a pretty strong group like mentally. But th- it, it is easy to imagine that if they were to, you know, give up a ball in the, the, their third in the first 10 minutes and it leads to a goal, you think this is going to be a, a real bruising afternoon. But then, yeah, it just it it then depends on, you know, them settling into the game because last year they went again they went to Anfield nobody expected too much of them they kept it really tight um, Liverpool never really got going um, and yeah like like I said earlier I just think that's what they're they're going to try and do again as they did against Tottenham in the the Champions League City will try and stay in the game make it close not offer up many chances and they're going to have to hope that they can take the ones they get and obviously in those two games I just mentioned they miss penalties so it's those kind of margins again that you were talking about Well it's interesting as you say in terms of perceptions and any Man City fans listening to this will, will need no reminder of it's very I always find it fascinating the way the, the players are projected in terms of media representation City is seen as this fantastic team with all yeah. these brilliant technical players but oh you know oh you never know when that's absolutely absurd whereas Liverpool are, lose. C- yeah City are presented uh, sorry Liverpool are presented as you know they're unbreakable you know they're like a they're like a Brazil nut you need a you need a <laughs> sledgehammer to get through them when it's, it's just <laughs> you can't really say one about the other and then the other about the other it doesn't really make any sense but I think uh, we we exaggerate things though don't we but there is an element of truth in those two, I would say, perceptions. Because look at it this season. City have either blown teams... They've blown Watford away 8-0 or they've lost at Norwich. Yeah. They seem to have a very high ceiling, but perhaps a bit of a lower floor, whereas Liverpool are a bit more consistent. I don't know if, if everyone agrees, but... Yeah, this season, to me sure. that, that yeah, yeah, certainly. Well, yeah, and maybe we're just basing it on 11 games and that's, that's maybe the problem there. But it, it does feel like, certainly, you know, this season and since August, there's been a little bit of that about both teams. I think, I think with City as well, it's all about the system. Mm-hmm. And you know, whenever they lose games and they look like completely rudderless and you get people saying, oh, they need leaders. You know, they need more <laughs> individuals. It's like, well, they've got loads of leaders. But the thing is, like, it's just they've been so good because the system, like the, the plans that Guardiola draws up are incredible, which is why they win most of the games and they win most of the games comfortably. When those plans don't quite work, you know, there's been injuries this season, so Guardiola's changed things. When they don't work, I think sometimes the players are a bit like, well, what have we got now? Like, 
every, you know, everything is like given to them on a plate, basically. Guardiola will tell them before the game, this will happen. This is what everyone who's worked with Guardiola says, Barcelona, Bayern Munich, City, all the same. They always say, he, he tells us what's going to happen on the pitch. And then imagine they go into a game and that doesn't happen. Or he tells them, if you do this wrong, they're going to counterattack against you and score, which is what happened against Wolves. And then that does happen. You think, they're like, well, what do we actually do then? You know, because... So there's, there's no, no answers there's no because they need, yeah, they need, to, yeah. Well, no, there there is a plan B now, and it's the crosses. Yeah, yeah. that's why they get the ball in the box. They don't mm. when they get to the final third. I think they don't want to waste that advantage. Yeah. They don't want to just pass back and you know try and go over the other side. They're not as patient as you think they might be. Mm. They get the ball in the box and play for the second ball. But no, it doesn't. Well, it worked against Southampton, but they had yeah. what well, I, I wrote about. It last week I can't remember what it was. 32? It was like 50, yeah. no, I think it was like 56 crosses yeah, from 50s, open play, yeah. which is the highest since that Moyes. United Fulham oh, game, yeah, yeah, yeah. No one um, and it's the voice. second highest in like <laughs> fif- the fifteen years. <laughs> yeah, it's the second highest in Some like fifteen years since Opus started going for stuff. So that is the plan B, but it's not. It's not especially productive, to be fair, because yeah. they, to be fair, they've gone to it in five games, I can think, and they only won that Southampton game recently. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they just. So it's all about the system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. Well, one thing I'm going to ask you, I'm going to put you on the spot just before we go for a quick break. I'm going to do that thing that we all love slash hate, which is a prediction. Mm. Uh, now, we're notoriously bad on the sports social, particularly the midweek team and getting these right. And we've had some absolute stinkers over the last couple of weeks. But in fairness, we've had Southampton winning, uh, sorry, Southampton losing 9-0. We've had Liverpool-Arsenal 5 all. You know, these games can't be predicted. So, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm calling patience on that one. Um, Mark, we'll go with you first. There's so much surrounding this game. It, it's, it is obviously difficult to call, but... If you had to nail your colours to the mast, where would you be going with this one? Liverpool win, I think. I think it, I, I want to say draw, but I think it's Liverpool win. I think the injuries that City have got, the way that Liverpool are edging out games at the minute, the fact that they're at home, I don't necessarily think, though, that means they win the title. I think nine points at this stage of the season, given the higher calibre of both these teams and of City who will be chasing, I think it's still you know surmountable, that gap. But I, I just feel that Liverpool, things are just kind of rolling for them at the minute and they'll, they'll get the edge on Sunday. You give us a score? Um, it'll be, both teams are going to score. So I'm going to say 3-2. Three, 3-2. Two. Three, two. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Bit more exciting than I think, Sam. Um, I'm going to say draw and not in a kind of sitting on the fence kind of way. I think, a bit like Mark, I want to say a Liverpool win. I think a lot points to a Liverpool win. But when I say a draw, I don't think it's because I can't really split the teams. I just think, I think it'll be a good draw for City. I think they'll play well and I think they'll come out of it with credit. Um, You know, not everyone's buying the whole underdog story that, well, people are kind of ascribing this underdog story to them. I don't think anyone's saying they're underdogs. Obviously, they've got a lot of resources and they've got a lot of good players, but they've got a lot of injuries. That's unavoidable. Um, But I think in the circumstances... The circumstances we've talked about, especially you know Edison and Bravo, and even you know losing David Silva a week ago, that's that's big as well. Um, I, th- I think they'll play quite well. I think they'll play better than they're expected to, uh, and get a good draw. If the if the margins go their way, um, they could win it. Nil nil, one all, two two. Mm, nil nil again. Nil nil. But again. again, I think they might have the chances. But it, but you know if Bravo makes a mistake in the first ten minutes, yeah. they'll get battered. Yeah, yeah. But I think- if, if they hold it together. You know, it could be a missed penalty or hitting the post or something like that again. Pete, would you make a clean sweep there? Do you see any case for a City win? I, I want I want to say a Liverpool win just because I think well, Mark's right in that everything is just falling into place. They're just you know, ten points from losing positions this season is is, is phenomenal. Um, at home, you know, they're relentless at home. Unbeat, what lost one in fifty 
uh, Premier League last last fifty Premier League games. But I think that City's away record, Norwich match aside, is is exceptional. It's very good. Yeah, it's got two, the average two and a half goals um, a game away from home. Um, is, Gabriel Jesus is like the the away striker, isn't he? And he just it, 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 and he can't he kind of works in that sort of system that they have to play away from home. And I I fancy City to get something. And I think they might come close to getting a victory. And I think that Liverpool would would equalise late on. And I think it'll be a one one. One one. Well, mm. you've just you've stolen my thunder and my prediction. I was going to go for one all as well. So that's the that's the official kind of middle ground. I think that we're going for either a narrow Liverpool win or a score draw at, at Anfield. Um, I think as we as we mentioned, if if the situation was different for City, we would be talking about a different situation. But the the cards have kind of fallen as they have for for, for Guardiola and for City. But mm. there's still a huge amount of time to go in the Premier League season. However, the result goes, there's still well over well over enough games for uh, for City to be able to come back into it. Now we said at the start of the show that there was only one game really to talk about, and that was just blatant false advertising. There's still plenty of other things to talk about. And after the break, we're going to be previewing Leicester City, who welcome Arsenal to the King Power Stadium, as well as Tottenham, who host newly promoted Sheffield United. We'll be back in a minute. Sports Social. Football Social Daily. Premier League Preview. Hello and welcome back to the Football Social Daily Premier League Weekend Preview Show, the only daily Premier League podcast giving you the latest from all 20 teams in the English top flight. As well as our daily podcast available via Acast, you can also catch up on your team. Simply ask your Alexa device to enable Sports Social and select your favourite Premier League side. Now, before the break, we chatted about that huge game tomorrow at Anfield between Liverpool and Manchester City. But we've still got plenty of other Premier League action to get through over what is an incredibly busy weekend. Now, we're going to move away from Merseyside and go down to the Midlands for our next game, which is Leicester City against Arsenal. Now, there's so much issues going on at Arsenal at the moment in terms of the manager, in terms of the captain, who's going to be captain. The captain seems to change every other day at the moment. The biggest, the big story for me in terms of this is Leicester City, not Arsenal. Now, Leicester City welcome Arsenal on the back of winning seven of their last eight games. Now, Pete, I'm going to go to you on this because you've been covering Leicester City quite a bit recently. Just how impressive are they? A lot, of, a lot of people will be keeping a half an eye on them as well as their own team. How impressed have you been with them so far this season? Really, really impressive is the short answer. Um, that Jamie Vard is in the form of his life, um, benefiting from no, from having nice long international breaks. Um, we've, everything's been said about James Madison and, and, and their other attacking options but their defence is absolutely phenomenal and, and makes their team now better than the, the team that won the, the Premier League title in my opinion their, their, def- their back four is absolutely fantastic and Wilford and Diddy is, is probably the, the in-form uh, defensive midfielder in the Premier League and they've got so much balance in, in the middle of the pitch. When when you look at Ndidi, Tielemans, Madison, yeah. Tielemans, naturally you look at him and you think, and when he was at Monaco, he played a little bit deeper and, and looked to control things from there. But as you say, Ndidi does that job now. Mm. He's able to bomb on, he's scoring goals from midfield. Mm. Madison's able to concentrate on being a bit more of a traditional number 10. Yeah. There seems to be so much fluidity. Obviously, there's, there's young players mixed with the experience of the likes of Vardy at one end or Johnny Evans, Kasper Michael at the other end. When you see the way that they're playing and you see Arsenal going there this weekend and the issues that they're having on the field and off the field, because it's very easy to talk about the situation with, with Unai Emery and, and Granit Xhaka and, and, and look at this as a kind of a club issue rather than an on-field issue. But Arsenal will be going there, and, and we chatted about this before we started recording, Sam, in that this is almost the last game that Arsenal fans and the Arsenal team would want. Would I be right in saying that? 
Almost, yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Because um, the, the interesting thing with Leicester is they went to United and everyone thought, oh, Leicester will win this, and they, they, they lost. Mm. Um, and whether you want to put that down to mentality or whatever, you don't know. So, and, and you know, I can I can see it being one of those weekends where everyone captains Jamie Vardy, everyone puts Leicester in their accumulator, and then they, they just don't win for whatever reason. But on the other side of that is they are incredibly well coached. Um, and Arsenal aren't really yeah and they've got a load of problems as well on top of that which everyone kind of knows about um so i am i am actually expecting leicester to do it um much of what i know about how leicester are doing it at the moment comes from an article i read this morning on the athletic and i'm not just trying to plug it (laughs) but it was brendan rogers on on the training ground and in his office speaking to my colleague Stuart james and he was explaining you know vardy for example he was like you know vardy given his energy and you know just mm. the way he plays his approach he will go he would close down the whole back four on his own run around yeah. like you know like a, a mad dog but now he's saying don't do that we've got other people to close down the fullbacks you focus on like the width of the penalty area he's saving his energy mm. he's in the right areas Leicester winning the ball closer to the goal and you know he's he's in the areas to be scoring more goals so that's worked um, and the other thing it, it kind of it came up earlier on when you were talking about Klopp and, and the counter pressing um Rogers was saying that Madison, you know, they've they've taught him that kind of side of it, and he likened Madison to Coutinho in terms of the ability that they've got. But you need that extra element, and obviously, well, Coutinho may well have gone to Barca anyway. But I don't get the feeling Klopp was no. shedding too many tears when he no. did go, because I don't think he ever really added that to his game. But it seems like Madison's a bit more willing to do it. He's obviously got the ability that everyone knows as well. But if you don't watch Leicester every week, and I must confess, I don't because. Watch City every week and it's hard work. Um, well, it's good work, but it's, it's hard only work. so much time in the day. Um, yeah, you, you kind of you maybe don't appreciate that kind of level of of, of coaching um, and just the work rate that goes into it. So every, you know everything's working. They work on you know breaking the lines, forward passing, finding everyone in the right areas, which is I don't think it's as, as sophisticated as what Guardiola does at City. But you know it's it's very similar. You know very similar that kind of way, and, and that's why they're they're third in the table. That's why, especially with everyone else looking dodgy below them. They're, they're looking good for the Champions League and that's why I think they'll do well against Arsenal. It's a good point that about Vardy in the fact that he doesn't touch the ball. He, does, he, just, he, he doesn't actually, he, I can't remember the actual numbers, but he doesn't. He hardly touches the ball in, in the game just because now he's been given his job and, and basically Brendan Rodgers said, stay there and do what you're good at and, it, and, it's, and it's reaping brilliantly. He's, uh, reaping rewards, but God, I couldn't, couldn't get out of there. Really. <laughs> uh, it, it's working really well, should we say. <laughs> One of the interesting things from Vardy this season, which I've been very impressed with, as you say, he's, he's clearly under orders now to conserve his energy in you know the, the position of maximum opportunity. In the, I feel like Sam Allardyce uh, in the box in terms of finishing off chances. But Madison's playing in a different role to what Leicester have had before in the past. Obviously, there's a lot of comparisons with Mares before he went to Manchester City, but generally with Mares in that title-winning side, he would drift in and look to post a ball in for Vardy coming, coming, making a diagonal run into the box. Mm-hmm. Whereas now, Madison's playing almost directly behind Vardy, but Vardy's still shown the intelligence and the ability to go, right, well, I need to stand side on, I need to move, I need to put myself in a position where I'm coming on to probably straighter passes than I would have done with Mares in the past or the in-between period where it was all Brighton or Harvey Barnes, where they'd be putting more balls across the six-yard box for him. So I think it's amazing to see... 32, 31, 32? 31, 32, yeah. It's amazing to see that there's, there's a player there that there's, there's still... He's still developing and there's, there's still the potential to actually teach a, an old Vardy dog new tricks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, can I be the Leicester sceptic? Oh. Go on. Uh, okay. yeah, well, go you on. can disagree with me if you want. And I, I, honestly, I think... I, I agree with Sam. I think... 
everybody below them is, is is so messed up at the minute that well apart from Chelsea sorry yeah well yeah sorry yeah Chelsea but um everybody else is so messed up that they could easily get top 4 and i I'd, i think they're still quite long odds at the minute so people might want to check that out because i i think it's you know it's, it's looking pretty it looks it looks a good bet to me anyway yeah but yeah. the games which they've really impressed let's think the 9-0 obviously the 5-0 they've both been games where they've had, the opposition's had someone sent off pretty early on and in all the other ones have been a little bit grindy. Now that's that's good. That's a good thing, you know, to 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 be winning games when you might not quite deserve them, or it's a little bit close. We've seen it from Liverpool as well. But I just wonder whether they're going to be able to sustain it until May. Um, they've come through quite a lot of difficult fixtures. I know over the, they, they they had a bit of a rough start, um, and they're in the position they're in. So there's every chance that they could still do it. But yeah, like again, like Sam said, I, I think back to that Old Trafford game. And especially the one at Anfield, where I really wasn't that impressed with them, to be honest. I thought, you know, they they tried to shut Liverpool down, but they didn't. They really didn't have a lot going forward there. And I suppose those aren't the gains that are going to get them top four. But it might. Some people are getting a bit carried away and saying, "Oh, well, you know, if City beat Liverpool this week and Leicester beat Arsenal, maybe they're in the title hunt." I I, I don't see that. I don't see that. I think that it's going to be yeah, around four fifth, somewhere around there. Well, I think obviously we've, we've spoken about top four and who could potentially qualify for top four, and we haven't even mentioned one of the game, one of the teams that are in this game, which is Arsenal, <laughs> who've definitely not given up on on their own aspirations to to crack into that top top four. And I think, as, as Mark said, there's a lot of teams below City and Liverpool that will be saying everyone seems seems to be kind of throwing the hot potato around between them of who wants third and fourth and and, and where they go from there. Arsenal's position at the moment, Pete, and I'm going to be, be dead straight here. Their position at the moment with with Shaka, the fact that he's had the captaincy taken off him, he's been given to Aubameyang, the fact that he's unlikely to be at the, the club by the end of the season. There's a lot of reports saying he's going to be gone in January. Is this a mess that Arsenal can dig themselves out of, or because of the situation that they're in, is it is it almost irrelevant what happens on the pitch? They hate him, don't they? Yeah, <laughs> they, they hate Emery. Man. He's not. I mean. Wenger, towards the end of his, his his tenure, wasn't exactly a popular man, but they absolutely, the fans now at Arsenal absolutely hate him. They don't like the way that he's doing things. His in-game management is it's not going down well. He's, every substitution he makes, he's greeted with boos. The Xhaka thing is the, is, is the thing that they really didn't want. And I, I don't like it. I don't like the situation at all. I don't, I don't think Emery's handling it particularly well. I mean, yes, he made a mistake, but when, when people are shouting at you that, you know, are you allowed to make a mistake? You're only human in that situation. I mean, do you cast aside? Uh, yes, he 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 should have acted better. He, he should have shown better conduct. But really, I mean, they have big big issues there, and it's not just down to that one incident, is it? So Emery does not have the tr- he has the the players of clearly don't have any confidence in Emery and. That situation is 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 just it's just making things even worse. Well, in terms of the game this weekend, Sam, and I'll go to you on this lastly. Just before we before we move on to the Tottenham game, we're looking at almost polar opposites here. We're talking about a manager where there's enormous disquiet with the fan base. There's huge rumours that the players are you know openly taking the Mickey out of him, taking them doing impressions of yeah, him in training, all all sorts of stuff. And nice. then on the other hand, you've got Brendan Rodgers, who the players seem like they would run through a wall for, and a fan base that love him. Is this game almost reflective of where the two clubs are? Uh, uh, well, I suppose if Leicester were to win and Arsenal were to lose, it's def- we could definitely say that, yeah. Um, yeah, I think so. Um, Leicester seem like a team on the up. I wouldn't say Arsenal are a team on the way down, but they're a team that still don't really know what's going on. And life after Wenger was never going to be easy. Um, it's, it is a really difficult one. But Arsenal... It, 
the thing is, it's one of those situations where managers are unlucky because, like, he might have, you know, he he might have created some of his own problems, and he might not be the best man for them. But you know, Arsenal, by all accounts, are willing or were willing to give him to the end of the season. Mm-hmm. But I just think the fans now are in such a state. The players, as you mentioned, if they're mocking him behind his back, it's not good. And they may get to that stage where they're thinking, we need we need to make a change now. I mean, I'd, look, Bayern Munich have done a similar thing, but it looks like they're looking for a caretaker until the end of the, the season. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I don't know if Arsenal were to do that, maybe they'd go with Lundberg. Yeah. Um, obviously, it's a, kind of like what United did last year. And that, that seems to be in vogue. And just the way yeah. that football is... Mm you know, the, the kind of spiral of negativity around Arsenal, I wouldn't be surprised if they got rid of him soon and went with Lundberg because they've looked at other clubs. Although, to be to be fair, United isn't a great no, advertisement not, for not that. A great example, um, but yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if Arsenal went to do that just because it's, it's, just, it's just so unpopular. And again, I don't think it's all his fault. It's just spiral, doesn't it? Social media has made everything worse. Yeah. I just think in this situation, and instead of asking for predictions on the score, I'm going to ask you for a different type of predi- prediction for this one. Mm. If Arsenal lose against Leicester City... I'm going to go with a straight yes or no. Does Unai Emery lose his job? Pete? No. Sam? Uh, yes. Yeah? Mark, decide and vote? No, I don't think no. so. No, so he lives to fight another day. We They've think. got winnable fixtures afterwards, to be fair. It might be like one of those, if they had like... No, you, can't, you can't change it. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> changing it, I'm not changing it. But if they had, if they had like Chelsea next week, mm. I'll be thinking, they'll think... Let's get rid of him. We'll get a bit of a bounce. We'll play Chelsea. But they've got Southampton, Norwich, Brighton, West Ham. I, I would, they might think, give that a whirl. I would like a caveat in the fact that it's not It's not going to last. I don't think it's going to last much longer, but I don't think this will be the game that sees him sacked. Well, the sports social jury has just about decided. Not not a majority verdict. And, well, you know, majorities are out of fashion at the moment. Uh, <laughs> that Emre will probably just cling on to his job for a few more weeks. Uh, one section of uh, Premier League fans that will be absolutely delighted about the issues that are going on at Arsenal at the moment and the potential that Unai Emery might be getting his P45 is Tottenham. Uh, but there's also an argument to be made that they're not really in a position to be laughing too hard. Mm. Uh, they play Sheffield United this weekend. One win in six Premier League games from Mauricio Pochettino's side. Something that we've mentioned a couple of times on the podcast is that they've not been able to replicate Champions League form into Premier mm. League form in the last six, eight weeks. That's becoming an issue for them now. Mm. Obviously, the game at, at Everton last weekend, the, the issue with, with Andre Gomez and, and Song Kyung Min, they, they ended up dropping two points. That was kind of lost in, in all the, in all the uh, situations surrounding Gomez's injury. Tottenham against Sheffield United. Sheffield United have traditionally made it difficult for top four, top six sides this season. Mm. Where do we see this one going in terms of how Tottenham can look to kind of break through Sheffield United? This is a massive game um, for Pochettino more than anything. Um, it's, been, it's not been, a, uh, it's not been a, a nice environment this season. 19 defeats his calendar year in all competitions is just incredible, more, of any, more than any other Premier League team. And the Champions League form is better, but they've played Red Star Belgrade twice and won 9-0 over on aggregate. But in, um, in midweek, uh, Pochettino uh, like fiercely defended Christian Eriksen before the game said he's, he's as good as he, he he's as good a player now as he was when we signed him and then didn't play him uh, and then left him on the bench and he played a much younger team and they were all absolutely excellent and this is what fans Spurs fans have been crying out for for a while because there's, there's a lot of players there Toby Alderweireld Christian Eriksen's that uh, don't really want to be there in the final year of the contract Eriksen has made no secret of the fact that he wants to you know seek past his new so they 
they need a change, and this is the time that Pochettino can because he gave the young players the chance in Belgrade to show what they could do, and they they produced the goods. La Celso was absolutely fantastic. Enderbelli was excellent again. And if he gives these players a chance, Ryan Session came on and created something. Juan Foyth played his first game of the season at fullback. He was really good. And um, he, he needs to give these players more of a chance because they're the ones that can pull Spurs out because the, the their old guard that have, that have done, you know, say old guard, Adele is 23. <laughs> but um, the players that have, that, have, that have served Spurs so well have not been doing it this season. And you can't just keep putting them in and in again when they're not doing producing the goods. So mix it up a bit and give these young, hungry players a chance. And they're not, but they're not just they're not just some youngsters that have come through the academy. They, you know, Lachelso is an excellent player. It's going to cost them a lot of money if they make the, make it permanent. So, give them a chance. And against Sheffield, it's not going to be easy. But this is their most difficult game for for four or five weeks. After this, they've got six winnable fixtures. After this, so if they can kick on and make a good run, the way that everyone else is going now, they could easily get up to fifth, fourth in no time. But that's an interesting thing when you look at the players that have been trusted to kind of dig Tottenham out of the situation. Obviously, you mentioned Eriksen, who's been had his issues at the start of the season. He's not played as regularly as he would have done in the past. There's a, there's a balancing act here for Pochettino to deal with in that I take Pete's point of the young players, some of them academy graduates, some of them that have been bought, mm. that are clearly deserving of a bit of a chance. But if Tottenham continue in the situation that they are, where they're struggling to win games in the Premier League, experience tells that managers tend to go with older players. They're less and less likely to, to throw in teenage players. That that would be a bit of a rarity for for you know a top four Premier League manager to go, it isn't working, I'm going to play these younger players. They do tend to rinse and repeat. Do you think Pochettino will follow that path or do you think he could, you know, listen to his, his new assistant P. Hall? <laughs> <laughs> I think um I think every so every, every 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 situation where every crisis club has slightly different problems that need a slightly different solution. Um and you know, you say that about experienced players coming in and you want that bit of nous, bit of knowledge. But I think sometimes, it's something Ferguson always used to say, teams go through cycles and there comes a point where you either change the style or you change the players. And I think Tottenham, as Pete's saying, I think they're in that point where it's the players. There's a group of players there. We know who they are. We've mentioned them already. They're not committed to the club. They may be talented and they may be able to do a job in a fixture here or there but Tottenham need a vision and a way forward and if if the choice comes down to it I think uh, I suppose what we're saying here is you know they're, they're going to think do we get rid of these players do we, and do we stand by Pochettino or do we stand by the players and get rid of Pochettino I think Pochettino has done more than enough over the last five or six years that he's been in the job to suggest that he is the right man to do it and is the right man to steer this course and steer away from this iceberg if you like Tottenham to me, they look like a terrible football team. You know, of, of all of all the of all the crisis clubs, about United, I, yeah. I, I've watched so much United that I'm bored to tears by them. But Tottenham look bad in ways that others don't. You know, they look like they're leaking goals. They look like uh, the game at Everton last week. I only caught like the second half because I was doing having a driving lesson. But um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, can't drive. Twenty nine years old. Um, but. But it, it, it just it was shambolic, you know, and, and speaking to people who were at the game, they were saying this is one of the worst games of English football, even before the horror injury, you know, in the, in the last few minutes. Mm. It, it looks like a team that just needs, you know, to be set on a new course. And like I said, goes through cycles and it's time for a new one at Tottenham, I think. Obviously, Sheffield United will be looking at this game later today and thinking, well, we've got a result against Chelsea, who came close against Liverpool and, and beat Arsenal. And they've given a really good, strong showing of themselves so far this season in terms of 
performances. People are quite enamoured with Chris Wilder. We had we had Peen on the show last week, and she's a big fan of him. If Sheffield United were to get a positive result against Tottenham, would the conversation slowly start to change, or does it take a few more games? Does it take after Christmas, and we look at the situation that Sheffield United are in, for people to start maybe changing the way they might think about how they've done so far this season and where they can go? Well, the thing is, there's there's two things with Sheffield United. They're, on the one hand, they're consistent in that you know what you're going to get from them in terms of the performance and the energy levels and the way they're going to play. Um, you know, they are things that Wilders has drilled into them, and they're you know that's part of the reason why everyone's so so pleased with how they've been doing, or you know, pleasantly surprised, or whatever you call it. And obviously, they're sixth in the table. But then, on the other hand, you look at the results, and you're never sure what you're going to get. You mentioned the, the close run games they had. Obviously, they they beat Arsenal. Um, but like when when there's a game against another team, you think, well, this could be interesting. You know, obviously they beat Burnley last time, which is obviously a good sign. But drawing one all with West Ham, nil um, nil with Watford, and, got, L- and goals are still an issue. For and again, yeah, and again, that, that's the thing. Goals. So like, as far as this game against Spurs, I couldn't tell you what the score is going to be, no. but I could I could be pretty confident to say I think it'll be a close game. I think Sheffield United will give a really good account of themselves. Um, they could come out of it like the Liverpool game. I know they were at home against Liverpool and they're away against Spurs. But, you know, when they came out of it against Liverpool, everyone was like, God, they give that a real good go. On another day, they could have won it. And that's basically it, isn't it? It's the, it's the taking the chances that they're creating. So, I mean, if we have to come and do a, a prediction at the end, I'll just pick one out of thin air. But I think in terms of how the 90 minutes are going to go, in terms of how the 90 minutes are going to go, I'd be amazed if Spurs, like, bossed it and won, like, 4-0. Mm. I mean, you know, maybe, maybe they get a couple of early goals and that's the whole game plan out the window. But I think it was going to be a really good contest. I think Sheffield United, like I say, will give a good account of themselves. I think they'll have chances. Um, but how, it actually, how, you know, who actually scores the goals on the day... I'm not sure which way it's going to go, but that's the thing about Sheffield United. They've got their style, they've got their approach, and that's that's the best thing you can you can say for them. And I think that's going to be their issue between now and the end of the season. You know, the 3-0 win against Burnley, it was a defender who got two and a midfielder who got one. There's mm-hmm. there's still this issue where they're picking up points, but in terms of goals, I don't actually think, other than Lise Moise, who's not even a regular starter for them, anyone scored more than three goals. The likes of McGoldrick, Robinson, McBurney, Billy Sharp. There's only one or two so far this what season. What about John Lundstrom? Yeah. But that's, but Fantasy hero. Maybe stick him up front. Mm. He's actually down. I think he's a, he's a midfielder, isn't he? Or is, he is he's he, down as a defender. He's down as a defender in the game, but he's a midfielder. Oh, yeah, on Fantasy Football, he's down as a defender. And I, I nearly kissed the screen when I... When I looked at it at the end, because he's one of these players that I forgot was in my team because I just I lashed him <laughs> in at the start. And you know, oh, any, if John Lundstrom is listening, you know, I want to I want to apologise. I, I was like, I need to stick a defender in who's, you know, part of a decent back four, and I, and I just lashed him in, and I and I forgot he was there because he just gets me a steady six points every yeah. week, and then refreshed the praise last weekend, and I was like, John, oh, well done, <laughs> you and I are going to be friends. Um, uh, Sam mentioned it just before, so dead quickly, get us a predict, give us a prediction for this, uh, Pete. Sheffield United, not quite the giant killers. The Giants, almost killers so far this season. Where do we see this one going? Uh, 3-1 Tottenham. Uh, I think Tottenham will score early on uh, and the feel-good factor will return to the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Oh, there we go. Uh, Mark, are you, are you working for the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium? <laughs> <laughs> Pete Hall, Brandon, marketing extraordinaire there for you. Mark, would you would you follow along with that? Um, no, nah, I think it's going to be a draw. I think it's going to be a draw. I think... Um, We've seen Sheffield United go to Stamford Bridge already this year and I know that was against the Chelsea team under Frank Lampard that we're still trying to find its way. But I've been generally quite impressed with Chelsea and, and Sheffield United and I think um, 
yeah, I, I, and and we've already said, you know, mightily unimpressed with Tottenham. So I, I think this is going to be another frustrating afternoon for, for Pochettino. Sam, would you follow up with that or do you think? I don't know. Like I said, <laughs> no, um, I'm going to go with Sheffield United to win. Oh, wow. uh, brave and bold. What yeah, doing? well, like I say, I've, I've given my reasons, but I still have no <laughs> idea. But yeah, let, let's, let's say they take their chances. Let's say Spurs are especially bad again. So yeah, mm. why not? Why not? Well, on that note of uh, something that's a little bit ridiculous, we're going to move on to something that definitely is ridiculous. Now, we've talked about quite the heavy stuff relating to Premier League action this weekend, but we can always rely on our own Jim Salverson and Ant McGinley to give us a little bit of a lighter touch on all things Premier League this week. And the guys now join us from their own podcast, On the Left Side, where they give us a little look and an insight into what's really going on with VAR. On the Left Side, the funny football show. Once again, in what is becoming as common an occurrence as Harry Redknapp describing a footballer as being a top, 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 top player, VAR is putting the AR in farce as another ridiculous decision took over the footballing discussion this week after Liverpool went to Villa Park. Midway through the game, Bobby Firmino thought he'd scored the equaliser only for the linesman to flag the goal from offside, and replays seemed to show that that decision was incorrect and the goal should have stood. Predictably, it was then referred to VAR, as is the rules, to decide whether there was, in fact, a clear and obvious error. Well, it took five minutes of rewinding, pausing, rewinding, pausing, playing, rewinding, fast-forwarding and pausing to finally make it clear that there was no clear and obvious error meaning it was probably about as clear as when my wife tells me that i should clearly know why i have obviously done something wrong and she's in a really bad mood well if you don't know i'm not going to tell you in other words as difficult to decipher as a times cryptic crossword Anyway, five minutes later, VAR had indeed ruled that the lino got the right call and we moved on. We moved on until the Premier League helpfully tweeted the image that had led the VAR officials to make their call, which only added to the confusion. The red line signifies Firmino and was aligned to his armpit, which was marginally ahead of the last Villa defender. His armpit was marginally offside. His armpit! Chris Kamara on Sky Sports had no doubt that the decision was unbelievable. The line that comes up towards Firmino isn't straight. Mm. I've put a piece of paper to it this yeah. morning, haven't I, Alex? And I'm sure that is not a straight line. I love the conspiracy theory, and I love that Kamara used a piece of paper to make his point. But worryingly, I now have 100% more faith in the Chris Kamara A4 method of judging offside than I do in actual VAR technology. You can find more from On The Left Side in our weekly podcast. Find us wherever you listen to podcasts. Obviously, Jim and Ant are poking fun at this in terms of VAR and and Roberto Firmino's armpit and and someone else's shoelace and all this sort of nonsense. But we're not going to talk this to death because I just think VAR is is dominating every conversation. You know, speak to fellow journalists, VAR comes up. You go to the pub, VAR. I think my my mum even mentioned it to me on the phone a couple of weeks ago. Where does this go now? Now, we talked about Liverpool-Manchester City. I, I said before we started recording that it's almost nailed on that there's going to be a VAR situation in that game. Do we feel now, you know, you guys are covering live football, do you almost feel that you're going to a match now and sitting down and just thinking, when's the VAR situation going to be? It also depends yeah. It depends on what ground you're at as well, because at Anfield and Old Trafford don't have the screen. So you don't, yeah. you, yeah, you don't know if it's happening. And the stadium announcer occasionally announces it. 
but it's kind of the same sort of tannoy as as the announcing a car registration that double parked outside. <laughs> so you don't really pay attention to it. You look, oh, it's, you know, it's that Mondeo's parked outside again. So you don't you don't really pay attention. But other 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 stadiums that have the screen, they have the, you know the VAR checking thing. But if that's at, that's at Anfield on on Sunday. That that doesn't exist. There isn't a screen at Anfield on Sunday, so everyone would be like. Oh. Do you know what I've noticed? They're doing though. They're, they're doing it along the advertising hoardings. You know the electronic yeah, yeah, boards. Yeah, yeah. They were doing that at Old Trafford the other week. Oh, so right. there you go. That's maybe a workaround for it. Yeah, I don't, yeah. so you say where's where's VAR going? I think it's not going anywhere. That's 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 kind of the problem. We're kind of stuck with it now. I don't really see how. I don't really see how you know we put the toothpaste back in the tube. If you like, it's, it's already. They've decided on this. That's the best VAR analogy. Yeah. I've heard. <laughs> but but the, the, it's been decided, you know, and uh, IFAB are pretty set in their ways on that. Um, we saw this week that story that was about how they might try and change it by in, uh, bringing in challenges. I think it was in the in the Telegraph. Yeah, oh god. Which I think is actually, you know, they'd have to rewrite the whole protocol for FIFA yeah. and IFAB and everybody to do that. So I don't think that's possible. Um, we're kind of. We're kind of stuck with it the way it is until the Premier League, perhaps, because they've got their own take on it. We're not using the pitch side monitors until they kind of move and align themselves with, uh, with you know, other countries and FIFA. Um, we're stuck with it the way it is in this kind of weird hybrid where we are using it, but we aren't using it. and We don't want it to interfere, but it is interfering anyway. So it's, it's a bit of a strange one. Do you think in terms of decisions, obviously last weekend, the, the main dominating decision was the Firmino offside against uh, Aston Villa. And the uh, Song Kyung Min red card wasn't a red card uh, incident with Andre Gomez. Do you think now, in terms of referees, the way that they're approaching it, Martin Atkinson had the look of a frightened rabbit at the end of the game, where he didn't know what he'd done yeah. right, what he'd done wrong, wh- where he was going to go. You, you know, surprised he didn't send himself off at one stage. Do you think there's going to be so much pressure on a referee now? And you know, we've talked about this huge game this weekend at Anfield, where they're just going to keep referring to VAR because. They they lose almost all faith in their own decision to make on pitch calls. Um, well, it's not really their choice, is it? They can't refer to it anyway. It's just going to be checked. Uh, the the other terrible one last weekend was the Delhi Alley handball. Like watching that live yeah. went on forever, and it definitely hit his hand, and his hand was above his head. Yeah, over and two, it went on for like I did, I did think with well, that. I one, swear it was like five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did think with that one though. It's 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 one of those that before the new handball rule came in, we would all be like. Oh well, you can't give that handball because he's jumping for the ball and you know yeah. has his, but there are his arm rules. out of the way. But there are new That's rules, the thing. right? And it's so forever. It's, it's, it's such a hodgepodge of different. I think the problem with VAR, the main problem with it, is that in trying to enforce one set of rules, i.e., the traditional rules of football that we all argued about anyway, it's it's brought on this whole new one. Yeah. There's, there's, yeah. there's these whole new you know um, parameters that we have to meet, like clear and obvious, and uh, mm. was it was it that far back in the play or not, or you know, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. And it's just complicated matters and it was supposed to end debate and yet here we are talking incessantly about it and boring ourselves to tears. Yeah, and to go back to the original question, to be fair, um, referees, they are human beings. Well, they are weird human beings, but they are human beings. <laughs> but like, we're not sure what we're going to get from it. You know, we're going into games thinking, oh, this is going to be a mess. I'm sure they're probably thinking, this is like, because it's not good for them because the pressure is solely on them. Everyone in the stadium is looking at them. No, but to be fair, the, the, the chants are about VAR, but... It's all about the ref. They don't. They clearly don't know what's going on. The players are going up. How many times we see the replays? The players are going up to them and every time. They're they're pointing to their headset or yeah. they're saying it's being checked. It's being checked. They've got absolutely no control over the situation whatsoever. I'm sure the referees they can't be happy about it either. They are being hung out to dry a little bit, aren't they? I mean, this is all kind of experimental at this stage, but they're the ones in the public eye who are having to put up with the decisions. Like we mentioned, Martin Atkinson there at Everton. He was the VAR at Villa Park for the for the Firmino armpit as well. Yeah. So he's had like the worst weekend possible. Yeah. <laughs> You'd be phoning in sick if you were him, you know, come on. Yeah. 
so yeah i i, I just think yeah we're, we're kind of, like i said we're stuck with it and and for all that we debate it there's not a lot we can do. Really. Imagine, imagine it decides the Liverpool City oh, game because there's international break as oh well. People will be talking about it for four or five days, yeah. and then the four or five days before the Premier League starts but, again. But we're talking about this in theory. I think I, I, I stand by. I honestly, I think it is, it is going to happen. I mean, you look at the, the two games last season, the, the Mares penalty that was still talked about, yeah. whilst it, even though it was a legitimate penalty, yeah. these issues and and VAR has become the, the new whipping boy of nobody is overly enamoured with it. No one's. I haven't heard one person say, "Oh, it really mm. favoured my team last weekend," or or a, almost anything positive yeah, about that's, it. That was at the start of the season, wasn't it? But now everyone's been done in by it as yeah. well. Now everyone. Just but it, like everyone it. was falling over themselves to kind of outsmart each other and say, "Oh, well, you know, I've been in favour of it." And then yeah, 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 next yeah. week, when they got done over, it's yeah, like, exactly. get rid of it. I mean, there was there was. I remember being at a game. There was the Wolves. Sorry, I remember the Wolves United game right at the start of the season. You were there as well, yeah, Pete yeah. and Var like checked the Wolves goal yeah. and then gave it yeah. and you have all the fans singing FVAR yeah, in the yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. just it's just confirmed and given you you a goal yeah, yeah, exactly, so yeah. you know there's there's just complete cynicism about it's the it, only yeah. it's the only song that fans sing in unison isn't it home and away fans together but I think you're right it's, it's actually a real worry going into this game that it could it could decide it in the fact that these games between two relentless sides like this you know it, it can come down to one decision and whether we like to admit it or not, whether whether we will admit it or not, if you if you are if you get a bit of contact in the box in the in the 90th minute in a game that you like that you need to win, you're going down. I'm going down. I'm gonna I'd hit the deck if 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 I if I get a clip on the heel, and then it is whether the whether it's enough, whether whether you know whether whether that's enough to to bring somebody down, and then all you're doing then with the VAR is giving another opinion. It's, you know, if the referee can decide on the spot in, in the old way, but now you're giving someone else that final say, and the referee's not having the final say. So it's it, it you just it, it, it is it does kind of ruin the sort of build up to it in a way because you're thinking, oh please no, not not just not today. But you've said that, and I think I think it's all safe to say. And Sam touched on it a minute ago. We've all jinxed ourselves in terms of there is there's going to be a big one this weekend, and and it's only going to continue and continue and continue. And and Sam is right in terms of international breaks, or as the season goes on, we could potentially now be in a in a situation where if an enormous VAR call decides Liverpool against Manchester City, and that then in turn means that well, that side yeah, the t- wins the, the title, yeah, yeah. then it's going to dominate the entire season if between happens, now and May. If that happens, I might just deactivate my Twitter account. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's oh, just be a cesspit. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully Mark won't deactivate his Twitter account between now and the end of the season. But that is the end of the show. Uh, this has been the Football Social Daily Premier League Preview Show. Don't forget, on Sunday night, we'll have our Premier League review show where Niall will be talking about all the action and potentially VAR, potentially not VAR. Uh, probably will be VAR, knowing Niall and knowing the chances that VAR is going to be included in Premier League action. Don't forget, alongside our daily podcast, you can also catch up on your latest news on your Premier League side. Simply ask your Alexa device to enable Sports Social to do that. As I mentioned at the start, I've been joined by an all-star cast today. Mark Critchley, thank you very much. Thank you. Sam Lee. Thank you. And Pete Hall. Thank you. And my name's been Fergal Brennan. Don't forget to catch the Premier League Review Show on Sunday night, where we definitely, definitely won't be talking about VAR, except we probably will be. See you then. Football Social Daily. Premier League Preview. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. 
No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.